Good morning, everyone. Yes, I have a mustache and I'm inordinately pleased with it. <laughs> a vestry member just texted me and said, it's good to hear Ted Lasso will be joining our vestry meeting tonight, so I'll take it. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be looking today as the day of Pentecost, and uh, on, on Pentecost, the church celebrates two things, the birthday of the church and the coming of the Holy Spirit, and that's what we're going to spend time on today. We're going to be looking at this uh, agricultural feast that happened in, in Acts 2. It's a Jewish festival where uh, Jews would come together from all over the world and gather in a place like Jerusalem, and they would do two things. They would thank God for the rain, and they would thank God for the fruits of the harvest, and they would give to God the first fruits of the harvest. And it's so wonderful that on that day, that that feast day, that celebration day where um, Jews would come together and say, God, thank you for doing things that we can't do on our own. Thank you for providing for us in a way that we, uh, that is beyond our control, that that was the day the Holy Spirit came. And on that day, the Holy Spirit birthed uh, the church. And so we're going to read and pray and then jump in and really see what we can see about this text and, and really and truly about the Holy Spirit today. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at the sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one of them heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phyrga and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Serene, visitors to Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking of God's, about God's deeds of power. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray and then let's Look at the text and think about the Spirit. Father, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you, Lord, for the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for Pentecost. We thank you, Jesus, that you ascended so that the Holy Spirit would come. And I pray today that as we consider uh, the words in this passage, the, the flow of this passage, but also the work of the Spirit, that you would help us grow in our imagination for how much we need you, Holy Spirit and what it is you've come to do for us. We pray that we would be bold in our asking and our longing and our receiving, God, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So Acts chapter two is a pivotal moment in the Christian church, in the history of the church. It is, as I said a few moments ago, the day on which the church is born, it's the birthday of the church. And when I was uh, doing doctoral work at Asbury Seminary, I was, um, privilege to spend three years uh, studying and sitting with Acts chapter 2 is a big part of my doctoral work and I uh, felt increasingly convicted and convinced that we need to tend to what happened in Acts 2 and hope for the work of the Spirit to happen in our own lives. And so we're just going to hold some of that together today. 
The, the chapter is a really long one, actually, and what we see later in the chapter after the Holy Spirit comes is we see 2,000 people come to know Jesus, the first mass conversion in the Christian church, and then after that, we get this rhythm of the, um, a sense or a snapshot of the rhythms and the flows of the church, so we see that the Christians would gather together every day, they would break bread in their homes, they would pray, they would sing, they would read the Bible, they would live in community, and in, in a real sense, the template for what we do on Sunday was birthed in Acts 2. That was this idea of come together, pray, eat, um, enjoy community with one another. That's what we all come here ultimately to do, to grow in our faith and to grow in our connection to, to the Lord. But before we uh, move into a, a look at who the Holy Spirit is and what he does, I just want you to feel the progression in the 13 verses that we just read. So the, the text starts with the disciples in this upper room. And if you know what's happening in Acts 2 and prior to that, Jesus has died and been resurrected and ascended, and yet the disciples have been told to wait. And so they go to Jerusalem at Jesus' command. He said, go to Jerusalem and wait. And so they're hiding in a room because they're afraid of the Jews. They're afraid of the Romans. They're afraid of persecution. And they just don't know what's going to happen next. Jesus has ascended, and they are just hiding in a room waiting. The Holy Spirit comes, tongues of fire, a wind blows through the room, and they began to speak. This huddled, hidden people began to move out of their hiddenness, and they began to speak the words and the wonders of God in the native language of people who would have been gathered for the Feast of Pentecost. And it's really important for us to hear that every one of these converts to Judaism, all these people from all these far-off places that had come to Jerusalem, would have spoken one of two languages, Hebrew, Greek. And yet, Rather than the Galileans just speaking Greek or Hebrew, languages these people could have understood, the Holy Spirit comes and gives them the power to speak the heart language, the childhood language, the, the native birth language of all of these people from all over the place. And it strikes me that one of the things the Holy Spirit wants to do in you is enable you to speak the heart language of the goodness of God to people around you. One of the gifts of the Spirit is the Spirit always goes beyond the call of duty. When Greek or Hebrew would have been enough, the Spirit speaks your heart language. And if you are here today and your childhood language is Spanish, you can understand most likely if you're sitting in this room when someone speaks to you in English. And yet if they speak to you in Spanish, the language of your childhood you're able to pick up nuance. You're able to pick up things that otherwise would have been um, a little bit muted. One of the gifts of the Spirit is the Spirit gives us the access to hear in our heart language the goodness of God and the things of God. And I love the fact that the Holy Spirit is all about taking hidden, afraid people and moving us to engagement with the world where we're able to speak the childhood heart language of people around us. And y'all, this goes way beyond Arabic or English or Spanish or French. This is about connecting heart to heart. And people think they're drunk because something kind of wild is happening. When was the last time something kind of wild was happening in your life with God where you were getting outside yourself? Like Brad said, I mean, giving $345,000 over the last month is a little bit Wild. I mean, some could look at that and say, that's kind of crazy that a church would, outside of tithes and offerings, raise $345,000 and then just give it all away. The work of the Spirit should make people ask questions about you from time to time to say, that person's being really bold. Is something up with them? Something wrong with them? 
What are they nipping into? The Spirit wants you to be bold. But we've got to get close to and grow in our connection to the Holy Spirit. One of the things that I think we need to do more work on in the, in the Western church is uh, an excavation of the Holy Spirit. You understand Father, most likely. You all have dads, whether they were good or bad. You still have a construct for them. We understand Jesus because Jesus is, um, you know, it's like fully human, the Son of God. But the Holy Spirit is sort of like this weird third thing that the, the Trinity holds on to. So we're going to do a little work to get us comfortable with the Spirit. And then I'm going to tell you, six things that the Holy Spirit has come to do in your life. So first, let's look at that first text. Uh, we read this during our music. Um, nope, not that one. Not there it is. Um, so this is what Jesus says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, Jesus says because he abides with you and he will be in you. The word another in the Greek language, and that's the language of the New Testament, that word means another of the same kind. Jesus says, and you can trust Jesus, Jesus says, if you like me, you will like the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I will give you another of the same kind, an advocate who is of the same substance as me. So one of the things that Jesus was preparing his friends to receive was that the Spirit of God would not be some other, some different, some frightening, some completely antithetical, but that the Spirit would be of the same kind. So today, if you've not done much thinking or hoping or praying or working on the work of the Spirit, Jesus wants you to know that if you like him, you like the Holy Spirit. Now, let's look at two chapters later. John 16, Jesus goes on to say, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I want you to hear Jesus. Jesus, the one that a lot of Christians really feel like we're down with Jesus. Jesus seemed to believe that it was good for us that he go away, that he ascend to the Father, because in his ascension, the Holy Spirit would come. So I think we have to wrestle with Jesus now. A lot of us would say, I'm good with Jesus, not so sure about the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself believed that it was actually to our advantage that he go to the Father so that the Holy Spirit could come. So I believe that that means we've got to actually do a little bit of work about who the Holy Spirit is and what he's like. Because if Jesus seemed to believe we need the Holy Spirit to live our lives, I believe that we need to do a little bit of work to say, okay, what's he like? Now, if you've been to Trinity for more than a few minutes, you've heard me say that one of the Greek words for the Holy Spirit is parakletos, not a parakeet, but a paraclete. And that means in the Greek language, one who walks beside you. So when we think about what the Holy Spirit is like, I believe that one of the greatest images that Jesus chose to say to us about who the Holy Spirit is and what the Spirit's like is that the Spirit is like one who is a traveling companion to walk with you through your life. Not one who is behind you, with a cattle prod pushing you and prodding you. Not one who runs so far out in front of you that you could never catch up, but the Holy Spirit is one who walks beside us. How many of us would benefit from a traveling partner that would walk with us through life? Whisper in our ear, give us some advice, be connected to us. We all need friends. Walks in the woods are better with friends than they are by yourself. 
The Holy Spirit is one who walks beside you. The Irish, the ancient church in Ireland, referred to the Holy Spirit as a wild goose. You ever heard the phrase a wild goose chase? Wild geese are beautiful, elusive. They're shy. I have a wild goose tattooed on the inside of my arm to remind me that the Holy Spirit is always sneaking up on me. Always there if I'll slow down enough to hear and listen. I believe that one of the problems that we have in the modern Western world is that our world is so full of busyness and hurry and worry and anxiety that we miss so much of the Holy Spirit. If you are blowing through life at 100 miles an hour, you will miss the wild goose. The wild goose, or as some have referred to the Spirit, the shy person of the Trinity. So those of you in this room who are introverts, the Holy Spirit is the quiet, shy person of the Trinity. If we are distracted and hurried and worried, we will miss the work of the Spirit. I believe that there's an invitation for all of us to slow down. Trinity in the months and years ahead in Jesus' name is going to begin to embody and invite you into a kind of slowed down spirituality. And that runs totally counter to the speed of our culture. Our culture says go faster, get it done, fake it till you make it. And the Holy Spirit says if you want to notice me, you've got to find some spaces that are quiet and still. You've got to slow down. In the Hebrew language... The word for spirit, capital S, spirit, that we read in the Old Testament is a feminine word. In the Latin Vulgate, which was sort of a language that compiled after the Greek of the New Testament, the word um, is uh, masculine for spirit. And in the Greek language, the words of the New Testament, the word is gender neutral. So it's neither male nor female. So I think it's really important for us to hear this, that the feminine expression of the heart of God is seen in the person of the Holy Spirit. Ladies, El Shaddai in Hebrew means many-breasted one, that God is like a mother. Jesus says himself, how often I long to gather you as a mother hen would gather her hens, her chickens under her wings. Jesus himself at times said, I will represent the the nurturing and feminine heart of God. Y'all, the Holy Spirit in the Hebrew language is feminine. God transcends gender. God is bigger than gender. But sometimes we people say that to say, well, it's just not human at all. There's no anthropological kind of understanding. That's not true. God represents to us the feminine heart of God and the masculine heart of God. And you need to know there's room for you to fully show up in the person and work of the Spirit. Really important for us if we're going to be really biblical. So that's who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is a wild goose. The Holy Spirit is one who walks alongside. The Holy Spirit is a slowed down, shy, introverted person of the Trinity. But here are things that the Holy Spirit has come to do. I believe that as you live your life with God, you need to recognize that the Holy Spirit has a kind of job description. The Holy Spirit wants to do things in your life and in our life together. So I'm going to say six of those and share them. They're going to come up on the screen one at a time. Number one, the Holy Spirit brings order out of chaos. If you read your Bibles, you'll recognize that the Jews, um, whenever you see a water in the Bible, it's almost always indicative of chaos and uncertainty. Jews were not seafaring people. They were land people. Um, So water. So um, 
parting the Red Sea, crossing the Jordan. Uh, those things always usually speak in the, in the Bible of something big and overwhelming. Well, at the very beginning of your Bible, Genesis 1, we are told that the earth was formless and void and that the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the deep. So what we see at the very beginning of our Bible is that the Holy Spirit hovers over chaos and brings order and definition out of chaos. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit for you and me is to speak over and hover over the chaos of our lives, of our lives individually and our lives collectively. Where do you need the Holy Spirit to bring order? Where do you need the Holy Spirit to bring some definition to chaos? Here's what I learned when I was young. I learned that when I was facing chaos or uncertainty, I learned to power up, to like get bigger than I was. Some of you might, in the face of chaos, have learned to power down, to get smaller than you were. One of the gifts of the Spirit is to help us be right-sized people when we're facing uncertainty so that the Spirit can come and bring order where you can't do it by yourself. Where do you need the Lord to do something to bring definition out of uncertainty, a lack of clarity, chaos? It's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit. The second thing the Holy Spirit has come to do that I want to share with you is he has come to empower and enable us. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are for you. They're to take your life and give you a sense of being endowed with power. If any of you have ever read the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Father Christmas shows up and he gives gifts to the kids. And he says to them, these are tools, not toys. God wants to give you gifts that will endow you with power. Where do you need to experience the power of God right now? Maybe it's in a relationship that's faltering. Maybe you're facing a challenge in your body or in your heart or at work or with friends that is overwhelming to you. Where do you need the power of God? The Holy Spirit wants to give you power so that you can be a person who is energized by his life rather than just doing it all by yourself. For me, historically, wanting to kind of power up and be bigger than I am in my own strength was my own project to do what God really wanted to do, which was, he was like, you don't have to be bigger, Chris. I can endow you with power so that it's about my work, not yours. If you tend to disappear when you are faced with chaos and uncertainty, the Holy Spirit wants to give you a grace that is allowing you to be right-sized and for him to do the things that he wants to do for the Spirit to meet you and move in your life. So the Holy Spirit gives us power. The third thing that the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit reminds us of God's unwavering commitment to us. So do any um, women in the room have engagement rings on? So if, you're, if you've been married, you probably have a ring on. So that word for your engagement ring um, in the Greek language is erebon. Uh, and that's the same exact word in the passage uh, where we're told that the Spirit gives us a deposit. And I'm going to read this text to you. Um, I love this. This is from Ephesians 1. Paul says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until our redemption. The Holy Spirit marks you with a deposit of a future reality, which means that when we're living in the valleys and in the shadows, it's the Holy Spirit's job to remind us of God's unwavering commitment to us. We need this, y'all. Because if you walk long enough, if you live long enough, you will fail you will fall short. And sometimes shame gets so piled on top of us when we failed. 
when we've fallen short. And the Holy Spirit reminds us that even in our shortcomings that we are, even in our uncertainty, even in the valleys of life where things are not so clear, that the Holy Spirit reminds us that God is unwaveringly committed to us. You know, it's a weird thing. The last year for me has been a, an adventure of sorts. Um, having a, a kind of burnout episode where I hit a wall and then disappear from this church for four months and then come back. You know, it's a little uncomfortable to like come back from something like that and then have to stand up in front of the church every day. Uh, for months, you know, it was like people were looking at me like I had died or something, you know. And, um, you know, you get a lot of the like, are you good? Like, is everything? Are you all right? Um, it's hard to fail privately or publicly. It's hard to run out and not have enough. And, and the reality is for me, if I had not been reminded of God's unwavering commitment to me when I had nothing to give, I probably would have retreated in shame and just checked out. I think the same is true for all of us at various junctures of our lives. We need to know that we're not worthy because of what we do. We're not worthy because of how hard we work or how successful we are. We're loved because God loves us. And the Holy Spirit tells us that we're loved. Some of us in this room need to hear that we're loved, that God is committed to us. It's the job of the Holy Spirit. The fourth thing that the Holy Spirit has come to do is to soften our hearts. I'm going to read to you from Ezekiel 36. The prophet speaking for God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The Holy Spirit wants to soften your heart. Here's what I know. Life as a way of hardening us up. Life as a way of making us uh, cynical, making us crusty. Some of us sit here right now and you feel like a sponge that's been discarded and thrown under the sink. You're a little crusty, a little misshapen, and the Lord wants to say to you that he wants to take that crusty sponge that becomes our life and our attitude when we live out in a broken and fallen world, a world that tells us you gotta be tough or you won't survive. You gotta be cynical or you're just gonna be disappointed. The Holy Spirit's like, I want you to be tender. And a sponge, when placed under the water, gets back to its original shape. It gets back to its original intended purpose, which is to be receptive. God wants you to be soft. He wants you to be able to laugh. He wants you to be able to cry. He wants us to be fully awake. And the Holy Spirit alone can soften our hearts, can take out the heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. And some of us in this room right now, we desperately need our hearts to be softened because when our hearts are hard, it hurts us in relationship to God. It hurts us in relationship to people. It hurts us in our engagement with the world around us. The Lord wants you to be soft. And y'all, it takes a work of supernatural intervention to replace hardness with softness. And some of us, it's time for you to ask God to make you soft-hearted. It is a prayer he will answer and it will at times make you feel uncomfortable. I shed more tears now than I have at other points in my life because I'm actually growing in softness, not cynicism. We have to go against the grain. And I just want to tell you that to an increasingly cynical world, to a world that is watching the church and seeing scandals, 
tragedy, things like what's happened in the Southern Baptist Church, things what's happening with megachurch pastors that are fallen. If we would be a kind of people who experience the heart transplant that becomes soft-hearted, tender-hearted, humble, receptive, willing to admit our faults, it will be maybe the biggest sign and wonder that a watching world needs to see. And the Holy Spirit wants to do that in your life and mine. The next thing the Holy Spirit does connected to that Ezekiel text is the Holy Spirit wants to nudge us to follow God. I love what the writer says there in Ezekiel says, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. Do you know the Holy Spirit wants you to do things? The Holy Spirit wants to move you out of your head to do things, to, to follow God. He wants to bump you. Here's what I'm doing in my own life. I ask the Holy Spirit every day, nudge me, move me, uh, make me aware of what you're doing around me. And so one of the ways that I'm experiencing this right now is that when one of you comes to my mind in the middle of the day, I stop and pray and trust that you came to my mind because the Holy Spirit was nudging me. And I do another thing. Usually I respond in a text or an email and said, I thought about you today and I prayed for you. And sometimes that simple nudge will help a person remember they're not alone. If you would be open to the Holy Spirit nudging you, bumping you just a little bit. And y'all, this doesn't need to be, and it honestly won't be epic at first. It's little stuff. It's being available. Do you believe that the Holy Spirit actually wants to do things through you in the world around you? He does. You've just got to have ears to hear and to listen. Here's the last thing the Holy Spirit does that I'm talking about today. The Holy Spirit does lots of things. I'm just telling you six. The Holy Spirit wants to make you brave. The Holy Spirit wants to make you brave. Do you know what bravery is? Bravery is being scared and moving anyway. Bravery is not an absence of fear. That, that's something else. Bravery is when you feel like not moving and you move anyway. Bravery is when there's an accumulated uh, conflict and disconnect in a, in a marriage or a deep friendship and you move toward that person anyway. That's bravery. The Holy Spirit wants to make you brave. One of the biggest areas where we get off track in our relationships to God, people, and the world around us is that we feel like we could or should move, but then regret, shame, and fear just keep us locked up and we quit moving toward people, toward God. The Holy Spirit wants to make you brave. Are there any musical people in the room? What does uh, fortis mean in, on a, when you're reading music? What? You have to be like Paco. You have to actually do it. Yell loud. Fortis. It's also the word from which we get the word fort, like a, a, a fortification. Fortis, the word comfortor, is not a blanket on your bed. It's to make you brave, to make you strong, to make you loud, to make you someone who doesn't shrink away but step in. The Holy Spirit wants to make you brave. The Holy Spirit wants to come forward to you. And that's where we begin to be the kinds of people who move toward things that otherwise we would move away from. These are the things the Holy Spirit has come to do. So here's what I want to do. I want to keep this list up. And we're going to spend just a couple of minutes in meditation and reflection before we come to the communion table. And the question I have, you don't even need to see it on the screen. We have another slide, but I want you to see these things. Of these things the Spirit has come to do, what do you need most right now? And I want to encourage you to be as specific in your reflection as possible. So we're going to spend a couple of moments to let this sink in, to slow down, and to reflect. What is it that you need the Spirit to do in your life? Now, it's not 
Of course, we need him to do all of these things. But I want you to have the courage to pick one. Right now, God, if I could ask you to do one thing, what would I ask you to do? Holy Spirit, what would I ask you to do? So let's just do this for a moment, and then I will lead us to the table. We'll come to communion. But first, I want us to be still, and I want us to ask the question, what is it that we need the Spirit to do for us in this season of our lives? If you're able, let's stand together.